Mal Evans was a part-time bouncer at the Cabin Club when Beatles manager Brian Epstein asked them to become the band's roadie. He travelled with them on tour and even appeared in some of their films, and along the way, it's thought he collected things for a personal archive that was lost when he died. This story inspired this week's guest, author Caroline Smales, whose book Finding Martha Lost includes Mal's lost papers. I'm Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis, and this is Beatles City. So how much do we actually learn about the archive and do we find out at all how it was lost? Well, there's a lot of mystery surrounding it and I suppose whether it really existed at all. So Mal Evans accompanied the Beatles on tour. He um, he was in their films. He's on a lot of the photographs of them. He's really tall. So once you know what he looks like, you can kind of spot him in everything. Um, so I think the theory really is that along the way, he must have just collected stuff because you can't help but do that in life. And then he died really tragically. He was shot at home by police. And then he was estranged from his from his wife at that point. He was living in Los Angeles. So it seems that all his belongings just sort of disappeared at that point. He was also writing a book at the time about his time with the Beatles. So he must have had papers and he must have had all these fascinating things. But they've never really been found. One of the things that Caroline was really interested in was the fact that a suitcase had appeared in Australia that was believed to have had a lot of these papers and things in. And then they they all turned out to be fake. So the book itself, is it just based around Mal and his sort of lost, um, his lost collection? Or is it features around other people and other things as well? Yeah, so it's a novel and it's not really about Mal Evans, but his story is very much a part of it and it's kind of this thread through it. So it's set all set in Lime Street Station and there's a little bit in the Adelphi as well, another kind of well-known sort of Liverpool Beatles landmarks. And it's a girl who, who has always lived in the station. She was left there as a baby um, and she lives in the lost property office. And she becomes involved in the story of Mal Evans and his lost ashes because as well as all of his documents being lost, when his ashes were sent back from America to Liverpool, they went missing in the postal service and they were eventually found, that story becomes part of her story. So it's quite a nice way of finding out all about Mal Evans without reading a history book, I suppose. And Caroline did an awful lot of research and became really obsessed with the story while she was writing this book. Yeah, I can't believe I had this book on my on my bookshelf all these years. I was completely convinced I'd read it. Um, and then when you described it to me, I thought, no, I haven't read that. So what got you interested in Mal Evans? I think it was, um, obviously I've, I've grown up, um, I'm not from Liverpool, originally I'm from Newcastle, I came here to study, but I grew up with kind of family mythology around the Beatles. I think everyone has this kind of story around the Beatles. My mum's one was that when she was at art school, she drew the Beatles and she waited outside the hotel they were in and gave it to them and she got them and they signed the um these illustrations that she'd drawn for them and then she got them back but no one's ever seen them yeah since then my grandma's died and there's like I just can't imagine anyone throwing that away so I think it was um kind of we'd grown up with that and she had um I've still got all her kind of singles from from the Beatles when she got them and then when I got married I walked down the aisle to when I'm 64 so I've had, kind of had that um, fascination with the Beatles anyway but when I decided I wanted to write something set in Liverpool um, I 
didn't want to do something kind of too stereotypical with it. Um, and I was kind of just searching on the web, just like Beatles related stories. And then I came across this article um, from an Australian newspaper. It was about a guy, British tourist, who had been at a car boot sale and found this suitcase. And at the time when it first came, when it first was like the article was published, it's like a major excitement thing. And this is it. This is the Mal Evans archive that's been missing. So I wonder what that is. And then I started kind of investigating and finding out more about him. And it was just like a gift for a storyteller as well, you know, because it was like he died in 1976, which is the year of the heat wave. And quite a few novels at the time were being written about this summer kind of the heat within the summer and then I found out that um his ashes after he died were sent back to to Liverpool and they got lost in transit and it kind of all sort of like this was all happening and then I happened to go to this is really kind of far-reaching but just bear with me happened to go to a Nick Kershaw concert okay in Liverpool and I was walking through Lime Street station and couldn't figure out um how to get cash out you know, he's trying to find a cash machine in Lime Street Station. And so I went into the I went into the lost property office and said, hi, where do you, you know, can you tell me where the um, cash machines are? And he pointed at this laminated sign that he'd made. Because obviously everyone was to ask where the cash machines are. And it had like platform, whatever platform it was. And it was one of those where I thought, wait a minute, I think I need to write something kind of set in a lost property office and it could link to the ashes and then it was like this kind of right I need to find out more about Mal but also um because I was writing about somebody who was real and had living relatives it, it kind of caused this conflict in me where I almost didn't want to write about him because I didn't want to offend anyone or if I presented him so the story of Mal is like this tiny story kind of weaving through of a guy who's an Australian guy who's found this archive that he believes in he's coming to Liverpool to see if it's you know get it validated and see if it's you know get checked and see if it's right so that's how it kind of all threaded together um but there's so much about Mal I mean I could I would really like to write another book just about him like actual not not fictionalizing but because I'm just fascinated in it. So obviously we're, that's who we're here to talk about, but it'd be good to describe for people who haven't read it, um, The Finding of Martha Lost, which is the book that you've just described a little bit with the thread of the Malevin yeah. story through it. Okay, so Martha Lost is, um, Finding Martha Lost, it's set in Lime Street Station. Um, virtually all of it is, and it's about a little girl who um, she's told that she was abandoned on a train and that she um, was left then on a shelf in a lost property office and nobody came to claim her. So she's never left Lime Street Station and she lives in the lost property office. But added to that, her mother, um, who has runs the lost property office and has been looking after her, has told her that she's the liver bird of Lime Street Station and if she ever leaves the station, then it'll crumble to the tunnels underneath. So it's a kind of um, coming-of-age novel set in 1976. So it has the kind of coming out of the Beatles era um, and this Liverpool feel at the time and um, a sense of finding yourself when you're trapped within 
a, a quite a, a wonderful space that's Lime Street Station. So it's really, really scarce. Um, and obviously, it, I think someone described it as a love letter to Liverpool. I think that's probably true. I think it was kind of a, a way to all the characters that I've met over the year and also that sense of finding a home because um, I feel I belong here and I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere for a long time. But now I feel that I do. Mm, that's nice. I like the idea of of somebody finding a home and feeling like they belong in, in such a place that's so transient that... That's sort of what I like about Lime Street, that you can stand in the middle and watch people come and go and wonder what, you know, what their lives are like and what they're going off to. But she's very much, that's her home. She's never left there. Yeah, and this fascination with that sense of family and what it is to have family. Um, and also this, like, she looks at everybody to try and see if she can identify pieces of herself within the people. And um, that acceptance that all these people around her accept her for, for who she is. Um, and I think that's that's what I found in Liverpool. Because I remember when I first arrived here, I came by train and I remember stepping off at Lime Street Station and not really knowing the way and, and feeling really lost. But there's something about the people and the community that embraces kind of lost souls or stray dogs, which yeah, I'm classing myself as that, and kind of welcomes them into um, into this world of, of acceptance. And I don't think there's many places in the world that do that, um, especially many cities that do it. So it makes it really unique. Yeah. So one of the things that um, reading about Mal Evans um, after I read your book that really struck me was how much the Beatles kept the people from their from their youth around them as they progressed and as they became famous, that they sort of chose to have people like Neil Aspinall and Mal Evans to be the people. I mean, they were they were actually their bodyguards at one point. They had people from home actually protecting them when they were out on tour. Yeah. You kind of paint a picture of Mal as this very kind of kind, generous sort of person. Is that how you think he would have been? I think from all the reports that I, I read, and I kind of, now that, when you, you start reading about him, there were loads of things, like I have a list um, of all the like musical contributions he made, the appearances that he made within the films, and I found myself watching them now and spotting him, because you can't miss him, like they, they kind of describe him as this gentle giant, so I think he was about six foot six, so you kind of see him in all the, the pictures. Um, initially, I don't, there's loads of gaps in it that I'm trying to find out more, but Mitch, initially he was working in the post office. I think he was an engineer in the post office and he went to um, the Cavern Club and actually heard the Beatles and that's where he got his interest, but he never, he kind of like, one of the, the jokes was he was an Elvis Presley fan and that was kind of the thing. So he was there in a lunchtime break and then he somehow behind, befriended George Harrison. And then George Harrison suggested to the Cavern Club manager that Mal Evans, you know, would make a really good bouncer because of his height. And then that's kind of like his first connection into it. And there's loads of things like where, where he kind of, some people cast him as the sixth Beatle. I know we're always saying the fifth Beatle, the sixth Beatle, but some people obviously do. And he kind of then became um a bouncer but then like almost like a manager and he took on lots of different roles and he but then by the end of his life you know there's there's nothing no one none of the Beatles went to his funeral so yeah. there is like a spiral um and his death was was truly tragic you know he was shot by the police and he's home in LA so I think that there is this kind of spiral down um 
but it's it's so fascinating because it's just this character on the outside and so few people have heard of him yet he was hugely important to all the Beatles you know I love the idea that once you know what he looks like that you can't help but spot him in, in films yeah. um he was in Hard Day's Night, wasn't he? And then the Let It Be film. Yeah. I've got all of them. He's like loads. So he played, he played the organ on Rubber Soul. Um, so he was Hard Day's Night. He had a walk-on role carrying an upright bass in a backstage scene. In Help, he played a confused channel swimmer who pops up in Austria. In the, um, and then Magical Mystery Tour, he appeared as a magician on the 60-seater coach. And he cast <laughs> these mysterious spells over the passengers. Um, in Let It Be, he's seen playing the anvil and later talking to police officers on the rooftop. So it's kind of like, he obviously, yes, he will have this archive. You know, he will have this whole suitcase full of all these things that he's collected from his times at the Beatles because that was his life. You know, that was kind of the thing. In the same way that we all collect bits and bobs as we, as we go through life, but his just happened to have this amazing connection. Yeah, one of the things that I can't quite find the answer to, which I'm really fascinated in, was that at his time of death, so he died on the 5th of January, I think it was, 1976, um, he was writing a manuscript of his time with the Beatles. Um, I think at the at the time, I've got it written down, it said um, he was, it was going to be called Living with Beatles Legend, and he, Legends, and he was due to deliver the manuscript on the 12th of January, and that was never delivered. So it's somewhere. What's happened? Where is it? You know, and that is part of this archive when you start kind of investigating it. And why obviously everyone must have got really excited when the suitcase was found, you know, on a car boot sale in Australia. God knows why it would be in Australia, but still, <laughs> um, you know, all these things that could have that could have been inside it. Um, I think I kind of, you know, with my mum drawing the pictures, I know it's nothing like it, but you have this idea that one day you'll find, you'll come across these somewhere, like, I don't know where now, because everyone's moved house so many times, but like, you'll come across this thing that the Beatles, part of Beatles history, and it'll be worth an absolute fortune, you know, but the guy who found the, this suitcase on the car boot, you must have thought, yes, you know, I'll be a millionaire. So, yeah. <laughs> So you've got your own Lost Beatles archive then. Yeah. Or did it actually happen? You know, it's one of those it's one of those stories. I'd, I'd love to think that it did, you know, but I don't know. She's got um the only thing that we have is she she really liked Elvis as well. And she has like an Elvis scrapbook, and that's quite fascinating because it's got all like cards and newspaper cuttings from the time. So maybe she did, but I just don't understand why anyone would throw away the art that's been signed by the Beatles, you know, it's madness. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure it matters if it's true. It's still such a good story. Yeah, I know. It's quite nice. It's kind of, oh, but imagine if it was true. Imagine if one day I find it and uh, I'll be sure to tell you if I do. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so have you got any theories on where, where his lost archive could be? Well, I think some people think that it might be with Yoko um that's kind of because I think that he wrote well he had a lot from the lost weekend as well so he was there um but they're just it's rumors on the internet let's face it I'm I'm researching on the internet and I'm not a researcher but I think it's like a a wormhole you go down once you start kind of looking into him and trying to spot him and I had made 
all these notes. Honestly, it was like months and months of research. I was so fascinated with them. I wasn't writing. I was just obsessed with Mal Evans. But then when I came to write the novel, I thought, I can't put this in because it's just basically me telling you, like I'm doing now, telling because I'm so excited and telling you about all this information I found out about Mal Evans. But people who are reading the novels don't want to read that. They want to read the story, you know. So I think I've got all this information and I'd love to write something kind of about him. But then it's like, is it my place? It's I have this weird um moral ethical responsibility you know as a writer writing about someone who has you know he's got children who who are alive like what right have I got to tell that story it should it should be their right to tell the story or um because it was when the book came out there wasn't really a reception in Liverpool it wasn't really maybe it's just hard to reach an audience but around the world um like Germany preempted it so they saw it before any other publisher Sorry, and they brought it out before it was out in Liverpool. They even moved forward and they gave a big advance and you know, it's done yeah. really well in Germany and Italy Italy did the same. And so it's like sold around the world. Um and then somebody approached me in lockdown, who'd read it, and um she was like, Shall we make this into a musical? Oh, okay. Um and she's like, Yeah, and then in lockdown suddenly she just she wrote all these songs about it. So I uh, during lockdown I wrote the musical the script for it and she's written all these songs like linked to it and I thought oh that'd be really I don't know what happened with it because obviously it's just first draft at the moment but it was like okay this feels like something for Liverpool and if I don't care if it doesn't go anywhere else but it'd be lovely if it was kind of shown in Liverpool like a musical version yeah I can imagine this the set would be really amazing of the station and you could do like really interesting things with all the, you know when they go down the tunnels underneath could do yeah. that really that was another thing because in the novel where I talk about the tunnels underneath and I didn't really it's give me a chance to explore Liverpool um and the William, Williamson tunnels and obviously going down and looking at this underworld and um there's so much I mean when you start I don't know why more novels aren't set in Liverpool really I think that's that's the way forward I'm just setting all of mine here now <laughs> it's very rich I think and and your your book has so many layers and like you know just one little fact that could be a whole sort of a whole book in itself I think I mean the Williamson tunnels are fascinating aren't they the way they were built they were dug for apparently no purpose at all I know that's another novel in itself isn't it you know it's like honestly I could just go on and on with it but I think the Mal thing I love that people can kind of discover him so they're like some of the times people picked up the book and they read it because they had the Beatles like the hardback edition had like little illustrations of the Beatles on and it was really beautiful and that people could pick it up because they're interested in the Beatles they have that link and then but they nobody they didn't know about Mal and then they'd find out that little bit more and I get lots of people kind of saying yeah I looked and I watched that film and I spotted him and you know, because you can't miss him when you know what he looks like when you google him now you know what he looks like you can't you'd look out for him it's like a where's Wally type that's what I'm doing like this you know kind of spotting and things and other, other people are and I think that's quite nice that I think a lot of people are overshadowed by but their stories are overshadowed by the Beatles rightly so because our focus is on the music and but then these other characters that have contributed so much to their rise to fame and they have their own stories to tell which are fascinating in themselves and maybe there is another novel or there's something else purely on Mal, but it might be that I need to be 
further away from his death or yeah. somebody else needs to be further from away from his death to do it yeah. um, to be respectful to his family and his reasons what you know why he went to LA and the life he was living in LA away from his family in Liverpool have you looked much into into what happened around his death because it was I was really surprised by that when I started looking yeah I mean I wrote um a whole scene because originally the book was going to be a lot more mal and um I struggled with it. I struggled with my right. I had the whole scene. So when he was in LA, there was lots, there were lots of, he was living with somebody else. Um, and there were lots of kind of reports about his mental state at the time. And then there's been a disturbance and the police have been called and he reaches for, when the police are there, he reaches for what they think is a rifle and then mal shot. Um, you know, it's, it's, I didn't feel like I wanted to write that part of the story. I didn't feel like it was my story to tell because I can imagine, you know, there was a lot, when I started investigating it, there was lots of sort of saying, oh, he, maybe he, someone said, well, his wife asked for a divorce just before Christmas. But no, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to be the person who's, who's telling that story. Um, but maybe that's my kind of moral, ethical, other people would probably think, you know, this is a, it is a brilliant story. You know, it is like his life and his spiral down really um, is fascinating to, we, we live in a culture where we are fascinated by people's downfall. And, you know, that's, that's the sadness of it. But I kind of, I wanted to paint him in the way that the reports were, like he was a witness at Paul McCartney's wedding. You know, that's how important he was to them. So I think it's, I, I prefer that idea of he was their finder. You know, he went off and he, he, he anything that they needed, he would drive them anywhere. And I liked that kind of gentle giant because that's what a lot of their reports were. But and I didn't want to focus in on his death and none of the Beatles turning to, up to his funeral or anything like that. I didn't want, you know, I mean, that yeah. was me. Well, sometimes somebody's whole life gets overshadowed by what happened right at the end. Yeah. That probably says less about him than, than the way he lived before that. Absolutely. I think it's like, I always think of it in terms of, um, it's a bit far out again, but you know, Inside Out, the Disney film, where like this sadness touches a happy memory and that changes to everything being sad. And it's so easy just to focus on that and to find people by the end of their life rather than all the good things and um, their kind of status when they've been alive. It's very affectionate towards the city. I hope so. I wrote it under a different name, under a different surname for it, because my other books that I'd written have been quite dark. And I thought, I don't want, I want it to kind of not put people off. You know, people who might have seen like my dark kind of experimental books, because this was more. This is a story. It's 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 fiction. It's a story. And I thought, right, I'll just change. I used family names and my surnames. I used Caroline Wallace instead, and I quite liked that because it gave it a fresh a fresh start. You know, everyone went into it reading it. Obviously, it wasn't a secret, so people who knew my other books knew about it. But they went into it kind of, yeah, it's it's a new book, and they could almost sell it as a debut. But honestly, I'm, I could talk to you for hours about him. I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you could find one one thing that you that you think that belonged to him. What you know, if you could find a suitcase at a car boot sale now, what would you want to be inside it? Oh, well, it's said that he co-wrote um, "You and Me, Babe" with Harrison, um, and I'd quite like 
that kind of imagine the original notes something like that within it um and I, I mean he's credited on lots of harrison's kind of um um songs and albums but i think something like that you know they just handwritten kind of notes or lyrics or just just a tiny just a tiny kind of snippet that what i think to be true is true mm. yeah and owning a piece of it and it shouldn't matter but imagine just having a tiny piece of that history uh, I, I talked to myself about it for hours so it's just nice to talk to somebody else <laughs> to find like see so find people who say like yeah they're Beatles fans and then you tell, start telling them and they're really fascinated but they, they stop being fascinated after about five minutes whereas I wasn't <laughs> talking about it and you're still going years later <laughs> well sorry to move 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 on at that point but I thought we should have a bit of a chat about your new book which is also set in the pool isn't it which I haven't read yet um but I'm I'm planning to read it over the next week or so so it's the unwrapping of Theodora Quirk. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, this is um, completely different. It's not a Beatles one, but um, this novel, I was told not to write, um, or if I was going to write it, not to set it in Liverpool because nobody wants to read about a working class girl from Liverpool, that I should set it in London or somewhere abroad to be a bit more exotic because Liverpool is depressing. Um, so I kind of sat with that a little while and then thought, no, I'm going to write it. I'm going to write the story that I want to write and lost my agent as a response, which was which was fun. Um, but you know what? It was the freest thing I've ever written. It's it's a retelling of the St. Nicholas myth, because obviously St. Nicholas is the patron saint of Liverpool and New York and lots of exciting places. And I thought, what better than if St. Nicholas does exist? Um he's going to come to Liverpool. So it's basically kind of looking at how it used to be where you'd celebrate St. Nicholas Day rather than like the religious aspect of Christmas Day. And then in kind of Holland and Germany, they do this where you, on the morning of St. Nicholas Day, children wake up and they've got little tiny little presents in their, um, in their shoes. And, and I just thought I loved the idea of kind of examining how we've become a really commercial society. And what if we went back to because it's like after lockdown to remembering joyous like joy in tiny moments but it's really scarce and it's really sweary and it's a Christmas novel that is about Saint Nick turning up on this girl's door and telling her that he needs to save her and she doesn't actually need saving but he's determined that he needs to save her and yeah. it's a Christmas carol meets Doctor Who that kind of kind of magical um but it's it's sweary and it's northern and that a lot of people don't like sweary sweary and northern. But it's something different. A lot of festive books being published at this time of year are all quite similar with kind of boy meets girl romance and they have quite similar covers. Whereas this isn't a boy meets girl romance, but it's about friendship and love and finding kind of hope after darkness. That kind of feel. That's the first time I've spoken about it. First time I've told anyone what it's about. <laughs> and you've got me feeling festive in September, which is quite good going. Fantastic. We all, we need it this year. I think we need something. I think we do. I wonder if Christmas this year will be a bit more like that and less commercialised. Because, I don't know, we're, at the moment we're just all hoping we can spend it with friends and family, aren't we? But that's the thing. I hope we don't 
miss that because at the moment lots of people are like oh who would I pick I hope you know if, I, if we can really spend it with small amounts of people and I kind of it is that suddenly these things are really important it isn't about the presence it's about these connections if you've enjoyed this episode of Beetle City please remember to review rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast app where you'll also find all episodes from our first three series join us next week when we'll be talking to Peter Hooten of the Liverpool band The Farm who is now chair of the city's Beatles Legacy Group.